Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. In the time of an unprecedented global pandemic, boards, both private and public, have been forced to re-examine priorities. And it's not just trying to manage through COVID. ESG, diversity and inclusion, an evolving remote work dynamic, a growing expectation that corporations will engage with social issues around race, gender, and more. As companies face new challenges, what makes an effective board of directors? And how are companies with strong board compositions and engagement better equipped for turbulent times? To find answers, I spoke with Roberto Corta. Roberto is chairman of CDNR Europe, in addition to being board chair of WPP and Smith & Nephew. He's a former CEO and serves on both private and public boards. And as you'll hear, to drive success, there is one agenda in particular that has captured his attention. It's what he calls the human agenda. Before my conversation with Roberto, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these Working Capital Conversations. If so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you. Here's my conversation with Roberto Corta. Roberto, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Chris, thanks. I look forward to um, catching up with you. Global pandemic, increasing cross-border, cross-region, and international political tensions, a tentative, just-in-time global supply chain highlighted recently by the Suez Canal crisis and previously, of course, by COVID, growing pressure on U.S. companies to take stands and sides even on social and political issues, technological disintermediation at every term. Roberto, has there been a tougher time to be a business leader or sit on a company's board? Uh, this is, a, I think, a great question that uh, I think all of us on boards have been um, sort of um, interested in thinking about as we've managed our way through this pandemic. Look, I mean, the pandemic obviously is a particular event. We don't get pandemics every year or every 10 years or and maybe as someone said, it's a hundred year event. So it is quite particular. But, you know, boards um, have uh, been challenged before in a, in a very different way uh, than the pandemic. And, and I would go back to uh, the financial crisis in 2008. And that was a different sort of uh, challenging period for, for boards and, and for companies. And that caused boards to sort of have to react to unforeseen circumstances. Mm. And I would say that to try to make a comparison, for example, between the financial crisis and the pandemic, I mean, it a diff- I call it a different type of trauma. It is a trauma, but a different type of trauma, which causes different types of stress, mm. both for board, for management, and, and for companies. And, and you address some of them in sort of your intro piece, which is you have human stress. And we certainly have seen different elements of human stress during this pandemic uh, than, for example, in the financial crisis. And obviously, the one thing that is different about this one and, and for boards is that actually we're all in the same boat. Mm. Whereas you could argue on the financial crisis, it was mostly financial institutions and banks. This time, the whole world actually was affected. So in some ways, there's more understanding uh, uh, this time around, because everyone is on that same boat, of what's going on, um, uh, the issues that affect performance, underperformance, the stresses and challenges that company go through. So 
very, very different. But I would say every challenge has to be dealt in a different way. It would be easy if all challenges could be all met in the same way. Is that one of the keys? And, and how hard is that for director-level boards, for C-suite leaders? One task, it would seem, is to recognize that a crisis exists. Second thing, though, I would think is it must be human nature to, when we recognize a crisis, to fall back on what worked the previous time or to perhaps avoid what didn't work the previous time, perhaps not thinking through that, wait a minute, not every crisis is the same. The same bag of tricks isn't going to work each time. How hard is that? And is that right? Yeah, recognizing the crisis, totally, absolutely agree with you. That's the first step. If you don't recognize it, then you can't act. And I think that goes for everything else. I mean, whether it's a small crisis or a big crisis, until you actually recognize something, um, you can't, uh, you can't, uh, you, you can't. But I think that what needs to happen is, yes, boards and, and management um, do sort of kind of look back because of their background and their experience and say, okay, what happened then? What was the situation? But you can't carbon copy or copy and paste mm. because every crisis, every challenge is, is different. So what do you need? You need a board that is flexible. And I think flexibility certainly was the order of the day uh, when it came to uh, 2020. It was unprecedented in, in terms of what was happening, at the uncertainty about how long it was going to last. What were the implications? So a board needed to be nimble, needed to be flexible needed to very quickly acknowledge that there needed to be a new way of working and embrace the technology. I mean, how many of us used Zoom before this pandemic? Not many. Not many there. at all. It was there. Yep. So boards have had to adapt and have to recognize the fact there's a new technology. If we're going to be able to operate remotely, then we better embrace it. But one of the other big factors uh, in this one, different from others, because we were all, you know, at home in our small little cubicle, whatever it yes. was. Yes, our personal cubicle in the in the house, wherever, wherever our family would let us sit. Absolutely. And sometimes they say, get out, go somewhere <laughs> else because I need the room. Um, so the other very important thing for boards was to understand that we needed to commit time. Dedicated time commitment mm. was the order of the day. All right. And, you know, this isn't about, you know, the occasional phone call or the occasional Zoom. This is not about the board um, once per quarter. I mean, this is all hands on deck, right, and give the time commitment. And I have to say that I've been very impressed, certainly in the boards that I'm involved with, to see how quickly Boards have adapted and board members have been willing to give up their time. And, you know, public boards of major international companies are multinational. So, you know, we've had to basically try to balance whether we get someone on the West Coast to mm. wake up at four o'clock in the morning, someone in Europe uh, to have to have a Zoom at nine o'clock at night or in Asia with the time difference. So had to adjust the time difference, the schedules, and I have to say that was the order, order of the day. Now, an effective board during this period, and I think going forward, it needs to balance agendas. We have sort of competing agendas, hmm. uh, I believe. So on the strategic side, 
we have the short-term versus long-term strategy, right? There's an issue here today. How are we going to deal with it? But what is the implication? The way in which we deal with it in the short term may indeed affect the longer-term strategy. The human agenda has probably at the forefront of most boards. And that human agenda that all of us in recognizing the pandemic, the effect it was going to have, not on our business necessarily only, but on our people. And and that uh, in terms of giving our people support, giving management the support to support our people in making the right decisions. But at the same time, keeping in mind the longer term agenda, continue to challenge management in terms of performance and results. And I think the, the last thing I would say is um, a bit of um, self-reflection, hmm. you know, for boards in terms of what can I really contribute during this very challenging period? So kind of dig deep inside and your contribution to the board, let it come out uh, in terms of its ability to uh, help the company not only survive, but thrive. You seem to be putting a real emphasis, and I wonder if it's if this is a, a realization or or maybe just a heightened awareness that came as a result of the pandemic. And I don't mean it pejoratively, but the softer components of what defines a successful business, the the human agenda, the being able to be present to connect the culture of a company. Have those aspects of what defines or what's required for a successful business, have those become more clear? Have those become heightened as a result of the pandemic? Both, Chris, both. Definitely, definitely. It, it sort of, it just, it just screamed at you, right? I mean, look, a company has to perform from a standpoint of financial performance, operational performance, efficiencies, effectiveness. Let's let's not forget that, right? because if if unless you're creating value, right, you're not gonna you're not gonna be around. So those are there to me. Those are sort of prerequisites. But at the forefront of the agenda now, right, is the human element, and I think that you know companies have embraced that, and and companies need to embrace that. If you look at the 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 way Europe has dealt with with employment, unemployment furlough, even at a government level, right? You're seeing a sense of urgency, of understanding, of empathy towards the suffering of people. I mean, how often have you heard the mental anguish, right? And implication for people who've been through this pandemic, who were not as fortunate as others to have a, you know, house of a size, have a little garden to go out to. And they were basically locked up in a, you know, two-room apartment, uh, Zooming, uh, you know, 12 hours a day with no respite. So, yes, the pandemic did hide. Now, are we all going to forget about it and say in two years' time uh, and say, you know, fine, that, that was then, now is now, and we'll forget? I don't think so. I think companies are going to continue to think about the, the well-being, the culture of their company, and because it's all tied into you know, this whole is ESG and sustainability. It's about the planet, but it's about people. I'm curious then, perhaps, what did you 
reflect on, notice, change, do differently yourself? Uh, you, you hold, in addition to serving as chairman of CDNR Europe, you also serve as chairman of WPP and Smith and & Nephew. Did you notice that the core approaches you already held were proven out and served you well? I would say adapting, uh, adapting to the changing environment, going back to that theme. You know, we've learned, those of us who've been around a long time and, and ran businesses over the years, that turbulence is not only a threat, but also an opportunity. So this was a time where you sort of try to focus on the opportunity versus the threat and to instill the dynamic of, okay, guys, it is tough. There is uncertainty, great concern, human tragedy, but let's look at what are the opportunities before us. And therefore we needed, and I needed to adapt my thinking to that opportunity. And as a board, we really needed to make an effort of communication. I mean, communication was key uh, and is still key today. It's always been, but in these difficult times, communication, internal communication, and I would say communication with all stakeholders, because everyone was living in what's going to happen next. Am I going to have a job, right? Is yes. the company going to survive? Do we have enough liquidity? So be on the front foot in communication with stakeholders. And, and, and last, and I've said it earlier, recognize those changes and act accordingly. I'm curious about this point of adaptability. My reading of your personal background is that you have spent a lifetime getting to be and having to be adaptable. You've lived in multiple cultures. You've worked in multiple industries on multiple continents. Uh, I would imagine that you have had to show a great deal of adaptability within your own history. And perhaps that was just part of who you are. That was part of your DNA. And therefore, you went down a path that exploited that capability. As you think about defining and looking forward, what makes an effective board member? Maybe there was a period where an effective board member was, well, I need someone who can really plug a specific hole. I need a finance person or I need a marketing thinker. Is there a shift in how you might think about what makes an effective board member where adaptability goes higher on your list? Well, I mean, adaptability has served me well over the years as I was moving my way through a corporate world. And I would say the shift from corporate to private equity also hmm. required adaptability, right? Because I was no longer the CEO of the company. And as you know, as CEO of the company, you, you, can, you make an awful lot of decisions yourself, right? Certainly have a board to convince, but many decisions you make yourself. You walk into a private equity environment and it's a partnership and you have to convince your partners of the merit and of, of what it is that you're putting forward. So for me, adaptability is a key word, as is, you know, being a good listener. Because I think if, if you, the way in, in which I think you can adapt better is to listen first and therefore being able to understand the dynamics of situations or environments or geography in which you find yourself. So if we think about that as it relates to board members, so, you know, there are many, many factors that make a good board member, but boards are constantly evolving. So the requirement of boards change over time. 
And as I've chaired boards over the years, I've had to, as chairman of the company and chairman of the nomination committee with the nomination and board, assess, do we have the right mix mm. on our board that c- can help the company thrive and support and challenge management. So as companies evolve, the makeup of the board evolves. So if you have a company that's moving from a single geography to a multiple geography, then do you have the geographic skills on the board to reflect the ambitions of that particular particular board? So the word adapt as applied to board means constant evolution, which is a reasonable time. In, in, you know, in, in Europe, board members are expected to serve on boards on sort of three years sort of intervals, right? Up to a maximum of nine years. U.S. is quite different. They can stay on for much longer. But during that three, six, nine, there is an opportunity to refresh boards and to refresh board to adapt to the changing dynamics of the business. Are there differences in the ways private company boards and public boards operate in times of stress? I would say that certainly family businesses, well on, well organized in the pandemic, assuming they have the experience, could, should have recognized what needed to be done and act very quickly because they don't have to go out and, and consult with, uh, you know, a thousand shareholders. Private equity, similarly, right? The shareholder sits around the table. We sit around the table with management, we see the issue, and we say, right, now go. Public companies, however, depending on the, the change that's taking place, what is required, may take a bit longer. And that's not necessarily because the boards are, are, um, may not be able to make the right decision or as quickly the right decision, but because there are governance issues as a public company that will require consultation with, with, with shareholders, for example, raising capital, right? So I, I think good boards, be it public, private, uh, or private equity uh, boards, I think uh, can all assess the challenge uh, equally. The speed in which they can react is basically based on you know, the governance of the particular situation. Diversity and inclusion is obviously a increasing, growing area of focus across all businesses and in nearly every aspect of business. How do you think about diversity on boards? How do you define diversity on a board, and what does that bring based on your definition? I look at it. I look at it on a sort of very broad spectrum, and it's something that I think I was able. To, I'm able to look back, and 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 I can go back. Uh, to the 80s, mid-80s, let's say, when I first went on boards as an executive. In, in This is in Europe, okay, in the UK in particular. And what did you see um, around the table? You basically saw white males, right? More importantly, you saw white males, all either current executives or former executives mm-hmm. retired. So if you think about it on the diversity spectrum, mm, you know, those boards worked very effectively, uh, let's say, in the 60s and 70s, but then needed to change. They need to bring in some, some external thinking, some external challenging. So the first thing you see is the boards diversifying in terms of executive versus non-executive, 
And then in, in terms of skills, and that's where skills, experience, and background are constantly changing. It goes back to the point I made earlier. Now, there are other elements of diversity that over the last 15 years, 10 years, and increasingly in the last five years, which is diversity of race, diversity of culture, uh, ethnicity uh, that needed to be addressed. Europe, I think, was at the forefront in terms of gender diversity, male versus female. UK and European boards now actually have um, sort of minimum requirements that each board should have at least 30, and in some cases, 40% of the board represented from male-female diversity perspective. But, you know, at the end of the day, diversity is good. If you find the right candidate, irrespective of its ethnicity, color, or gender, but they possess the necessary skills and experience and and background that are required for that particular business, for that particular board um, going forward. I want to follow up on something you said earlier as well, which was about balance. You talked about the requirement to balance in this particular case, human agenda, let's say the short-term, immediate-term human needs, with the long-term requirements of any enterprise, which is uh, to be in business and to show results over the long term. We discussed companies are increasingly requested, if not required, to act on issues such as ESG. Um, we talked about DNI, continuing education, um, and there's more. Has the definition of corporate responsibility changed, and how should an effective board balance all of these various stakeholder interests, including, of course, investors, shareholders, employees, community, and more. If you ask me what are the sort of uh, trends or what's on the radar screen for boards uh, at the moment and, and, and going forward. So ESG is certainly front and center uh, with a particular emphasis on E at the moment, on, 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 on the environment. And, and that, by the way, is, is across the broad spectrum. It's not just about public company and it's not. And and now that focus is with family owned businesses and that focus is very much with private equity. The other items, which perhaps are more UK Europe that should be on the radar screen are the topic of remuneration. Mm. That's becoming very, very contentious. And uh, certainly in the US, it raises its head once in a while, but Still, I think um, not to the same degree as in the UK and Europe. That has a number of implications for companies. If you're managing a global international business, you're competing for talent uh, on a global basis. That is certainly something that boards are having to um, to deal with uh, more and more uh, going forward. How do you attract the best talent and at the same time adapt to the governance that is currently in vigor? Also, there's a question now uh, coming up on committees versus boards. Hmm. You know, traditionally, as you know, you'd have your various committees, remuneration, nomination. Now we have sustainability, ESG, and you, the board would delegate responsibility to those boards, including audit, um, uh, to basically dig deep in the agendas relative to those committees. And then those committees would report to the board. I think we're, we're beginning to see perhaps questioning whether, you know, the whole board ought to be involved and, and doing deeper dives in the areas where the committees previously stood. 
International board participation is an interesting one. Um, and I've heard it from some, some colleagues over here in Europe. In terms of, you know, if you're a decent-sized company, you want to have someone on your board with international experience. And, and now, if you can find that board member in your geography, right, uh, I think is the best of all worlds. Mm. But when you're trying to attract international board members that are on the other side of the world, there's an open question about participation and board composition. And I don't know if I made myself clear. It's quite challenging for people on the other side of the world uh, to be able to, in a non-virtual board environment, be able to physically be present, given the very stringent requirements for attendance that are now in vigor. Is it possible that's one benefit of the times, that uh, securing international board participation, if there is a greater willingness to communicate virtually, perhaps that opens the pool a bit on that front? Is that possible? That that is something that's being talked about, certainly on, on this side of the pond. Whereas before, if a board member of a UK PLC global business, irrespective of where they sort of uh, reside, if they miss one meeting, right, never mind two, I mean, you know, investors will let you, would let you know. As you know, investors are voting more and more now on issues that are important to them. And board attendance, obviously, is very, very important. And I totally agree with that, right? Now, you, know, you may be able to attract a board member from the other side of the world from where you are, who in turn says, well, how many board meetings do, do I have to attend? H- h- committee meetings, mm-hmm. right? And I need yes. to be physically present. And I have a, I have a full-time job because you know, we normally would like to have people who are active, who are currently involved. Yeah. In the and, marketplace. Uh, in the marketplace. And this, this uh, virtual experience may help facilitate and enable us to attract even better talent than we could otherwise. Roberto, we've talked as well about some of the turbulence that has occurred in various countries and societies. And obviously, because of COVID, um, there's been turbulence globally. Is there something from your private equity experience during turbulent times that might work well in the public context? I'm sort of grateful that I have had the opportunity and still do today to be able to kind of sit on both sides of the fence. (laughs) And I'm not at all shy in picking up things that I find that effective on one side and using them and transferring into the other and vice versa. So you could argue that the private equity experience, I think, has helped me to ensure kind of a sense of urgency relative to defining the challenge, the problem, the opportunity, and acting quickly but thoughtfully to resolve it. And that's because of that freedom and flexibility that private equity has that does not necessarily require the degree of consultation that public company has. So I'm not at all shy of uh, actually uh, bringing that across. And, and, you know, process and disciplines, um, you know, whether they be financial um, processes and disciplines, I, I think can certainly be effective for both. Now, the requirements on, for example, financial reporting, which is on a public company, are becoming increasingly more onerous. Right mm. and now, private equities increasingly is also ensuring that their portfolio companies are prepared for exit 
especially if an exit is a public company exit. So the ability to be able to transfer the knowledge moving from public to private equity, private company is, is obviously very helpful. And Roberto, as we look forward and as you look forward, vaccines are coming out, uh, they're picking up. We hope that we are starting to come out of the pandemic. Certainly, there's a dichotomy. Some countries are coming out much faster than others, and that's certainly an ongoing challenge, if not potentially a crisis. As you look forward on the horizon, which trending issues would you say boards ought to have on their radar? ones that might not be sufficiently noticed right now. And what advice might you offer to boards on how to keep their eye on the ball? Well, look, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, So the first thing I'm going to say is that I would assume that it's going to take a couple of years to um, resume to Mm -hmm. normality. What is the new normality Will it be the same as previous? As you know, some companies in terms of physical presence have already said, you don't need to come back uh, to the office. You know, you've worked effectively during this period. You can continue to do so. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case across the board. And there'll be variations of it. Come in three days a week uh, or two days a week or whatever. So normality from the standpoint of physical presence, I I think, um, is certainly going to be moving around in the next two years. And and by the way, people, especially the younger people, are eager to go back to work. Some have never even met physically their boss. They haven't interacted with their teams. They're yearning to do that. They're yearning to be able to sit in a room or to have a cup of coffee or the famous bubbler talk. So I think that if we need to assume that, that'll take a couple of years for that to shake out. You know, we need to have proper visibility on people. Proper visibility means understanding people dynamics. You know, what are people yearning for? What are they concerned about as it relates to the business, as it relates to coming back to the business? And really reflect on were there any mistakes made? And therefore, what are the issues that we need to confront as a result of what we've just been through? Boards also will need to even more focus on risk and control factors. Mm-hmm the risk to the business and what controls do we need in our business, I think is is going to be certainly on the board agenda. Do you mean defining different types of risks or simply being even more alert to the potential for risks? Both. Because we all, if you're a public company in particular, but any company ought to have on its radar screen, what are the potential risks? Now, some risks are of a dimension that, uh, let's say, the probability is very low. But even those have to be clearly identified and clearly monitored. And that's where the control part comes into play. And boards will have to increasingly do more. Now, regulators are also putting more emphasis and shareholders are putting more emphasis on that. And so therefore, you have a domino effect onto company boards and to companies and management. Now, corporate culture. Did we talk about corporate culture in the 70s? or 80s to the degree that we're talking about now in the importance of culture, the definition of culture, what is the right corporate culture for your company? Hmm. And boards and management need to sit down and think about that. Do we have the right culture? And if, if not, what do we need to do to change that culture? Why is the culture what it is? Uh, do we understand how our culture that we believe is right for the business may not necessarily the way our employees see it? And what do we need to do? 
So succession is another another issue, where there is pay gap succession. And so succession also in terms of ensuring that the company is not at risk because we don't have within the management structure the right people in place to be able to not only be promoted and move up the ladder, but actually to fill voids, which inevitably occur over a period of time. And I think the board has responsibility to ensure that uh, we spend some time together physically because, you know, we haven't done that now for, what, 18 months? And who knows, it could be uh, 24 months mm. before we can do that. And I think that it seems banal, but the physical getting together, the chat before the board, during lunch, and let's say the evening dinner, I think it's quite important in terms of bringing boards together. And last, I would say we need to have better visibility in terms of connectivity. So those are the things that I see boards needing to uh, focus on and to keep their eye out. Roberto, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. 